Okay, we're going to start this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I, I have so much more information on the Great Reset topic. This, is, this would be a seventh message, part seven of the Great Reset. If you haven't heard uh, parts one to six, they're online. And so I would encourage you. It's about six hours of fairly in-depth teaching, not just from the scriptures, it is from the scriptures, but also from the newspapers and from current events to kind of talk about what's going on. But in light of uh, the, everything that's going on politically, in light of everything that's going on right now in Washington, D.C., and uh, I, I, I don't even want to get into current events because there's just too much to talk about there. I'm going to just stick to the scriptures today. This will be our final message on the Great Reset. Um, and, and really, I think right now, we need to be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. I think that it's obvious that we are in the last days. Jesus is coming back soon. And so we just have to really examine ourselves and we have to make sure that we are living in a way that's pleasing to God. You can't do anything about yesterday. You cannot change the past, but you can certainly determine your future and you could start today by living for Jesus. Maybe you weren't living for Jesus yesterday. You could start today. That's the great news of the gospel is God will always take you right where you're at. We're all sinners. We all come to God uh, with our sin and he is the only one that could wash us and cleanse us and make us white as snow. And that is the promise uh, in his word and we know he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. So uh, I did have a number of uh, extra biblical sources I was going to be quoting from this morning, but I think in light of the uh, stuff that's going on and all of the uncertainty and the fear uh, and, and what's happening at the federal level with the government and so forth, uh, we're just going to stay in the scriptures today, uh, and, and this will be the final message on the Great Reset. I'm sure I'll, I'll be updating you with more current event information on this subject because it's not going to go away. The Great Reset is coming. If they have their way by 2030, we're not going to recognize uh, our planet. It's going to be a completely... Matter of fact, you can go to the World Economic Forum's website and they will tell you exactly what they planned for this planet by 2030. Uh, and these are the most powerful, wealthy people in the world who are orchestrating all of this. And unfortunately, America's tech giants are also part of this now. And what's being built is nothing less than a technocracy, where this world is going to be run by businessmen who put puppet politicians in place and who rule over the earth with technology. Because it's the first time in history that that's been possible. And uh, man has always wanted to rule over the whole earth. And then, of course, we know that the Bible says that Satan himself is going to take over that government uh, in the tribulation period, specifically the great tribulation period. Uh, all of this is being built and Satan is going to take it over and then the Antichrist is going to rule over this world as Satan has always wanted to rule over the world and to be worshipped uh, as God. And that's, that's what the scriptures tell us is coming uh, in, the, in the last days. But we're not going to be here for that. So we're going to read uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And I've entitled this message, The Promise of Christ's Return. The Promise of Christ's Return. We have to remember all of this prophecy teaching that we do here 
is, uh, is to prepare us and to remind us that Jesus is coming again. He's coming back soon. And so we just have to keep our eyes on Jesus. So we're going to read verses 1 to 9 here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by the way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so this was written almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Peter. They were living in difficult times. They were living in times where the church was beginning to be uh, persecuted by the Roman government and and persecuted terribly. Uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle, was beheaded and Peter was crucified Church history tells us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus Christ was crucified. And so he requested that they turn the cross upside down. Uh, And so we are living in the last days. We are living in days where we begin to see so much of these prophecies that were predicted 2,000 years ago or more coming to pass right before our eyes. And again, I encourage you to listen to the other messages in this series. And I think that you'll see that the scriptures accurately defined the days that would uh, be the last days. And, and they sure look a lot like what we're seeing all around us today. And even this prophecy here uh, from Peter about the last days, uh, Peter tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that there's going to become scoffers in the last days. There are going to be people who are going to mock the idea of Christianity and mock the idea of the second coming of Christ. And and tragically, uh, we see that there are many churches, even in their theology, that does they, it doesn't give a place for the rapture. It doesn't give a place for the millennial reign of Christ. It really doesn't give a place in their theology for the Antichrist to come and the mark of the beast because they say that all of that scripture in the book of Revelation, all the prophecies were already fulfilled by 90 AD. And so we're really not looking for Christ's return. We're not looking 
uh, to see a one-world government or an antichrist ruler or a mark of the beast or any of these things. They explain away the scriptures, and it's so tragic because these also are Christians who are going to begin to scoff and mock at those of us who are trying to tell the world Jesus is coming, he's coming back soon. He's coming again. And we know that these scoffers are, are, are basically questioning, where's the promise of his coming? Uh, basically, they, they say that uh, from the beginning of time, all things continue. And, and in other words, uh, everybody has said Jesus is coming back. They're, gonna, they're, they're saying, we've been, we've been talking about Jesus coming back for 2,000 years. He's not here yet. So why would we still be talking about this? Obviously, you know, they don't, they're not looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what was predicted to be the case in the last days. But we see the answer to that question. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep. All things continue as they were uh, at the beginning. They're mocking the idea of Christ coming back. They're scoffing at those who would say this. And yet God tells us this. He says that the heavens and the earth. Which are now preserved by the same word. Are reserved for fire. Until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years are as one day, verse 9, and the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when the scoffers say, well, where is he? He's been, you know, the church has been saying Jesus is coming back for 2,000 years. He's still not here. So they think, well, then he's never coming back because it's been 2,000 years. You could say, well, that's exactly what was predicted. People would be saying right at the last days, where's the promise of his coming? And so the answer is to why hasn't Jesus come back yet to take his church and to set up his kingdom? It's because God is patient with us. We uh, deserve God's wrath. Our planet deserves God, God's wrath. We are, we are a wicked people. We are a people who are not, for the most part. I'm talking about the population, the 7.5 billion people on this earth. We are people who are not seeking God. We're not uh, living for God. And again, I'm not talking about you sitting here today. I would say you are probably the exception to the rule because you're here today in church. But our church is not overflowing. We have plenty of space. We're not doing three, four services on Sunday morning. And we're one of the only churches that are open right now for indoor services. So I would say not just because of, of what's happening here at our church, but I would say overwhelmingly people are really not understanding how late the hour is. Christians are really just thinking things are going to get back to normal again and get back to uh, how they were prior to this pandemic. And I will say this, the Bible talks about things going from bad to worse to unbelievably worse in the last days, not getting better. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not predicting uh, that Jesus is coming back tomorrow or that Jesus is coming back next year. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. All I know is we're 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus Christ than Peter was when he wrote this. And God will never break his word. God always fulfills his promises. So if we are promised that the Lord is coming back and we're told the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, then we have to understand that God hasn't come back yet because he's showing patience to us. 
He's, show, he's showing his mercy to planet Earth. He's long-suffering. We look around and we see that we deserve God's wrath. He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. And, and, and the, the population of the Earth is just a mess. And yet God is so uh, patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's giving us time to preach the gospel so that more people can be saved. And the book of Romans tells us that when the final Gentile gets saved and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then the end will come. And so really what you could do to hasten the coming of Christ is to preach the gospel and to witness to others and to tell people about Jesus because there's one last Gentile, according to the scriptures, who will get saved and then God is going to rapture his church. That'll be the end of the church age and then it will be the tribulation period, the great tribulation period, and God will save all of Israel. All Israel will be saved in that day according to Romans chapter 11. So we should not be discouraged. We should take heart. The Lord is faithful. Uh, he will keep his promises. Verse 10 tells us, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We know that righteousness does not dwell in this heaven, this heaven and this earth. I mean, it, it's, it's unrighteousness that's dwelling here on this planet. And that's not God's will. God wants uh, righteousness. God wants us to be living as righteous people. He wants us to be living for him. And so he's going to set up his kingdom with his people where his will will be done on earth as his will is being done in heaven. And so we are called to be holy in our conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How can we hasten the, day of, uh, the coming of the day of God? By preaching the gospel and getting more people saved. God is showing us patience right now. We know we deserve his judgment, and yet he forbears and he forestalls uh, his judgment upon us. Now, we are called as his people to be like the prophets of old. We are called to be those who will speak the word of God and not fear what man will think. Uh, we are called to be watchmen on the wall as his witnesses. In Ezekiel chapter 33, the prophet Ezekiel, we read this in verse 1 about being a watchman on the wall. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land, take a man from their territory and make him a watchman. Ezekiel 33 verse 3. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life." 
But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and you shall warn them for me. This was the calling of the prophet. And every prophet in the Old Testament had a, a calling like this. That they were the watchmen on the wall to the nation and the house of Israel. Specifically here, Ezekiel, God is saying, you are to blow the trumpet. You're to warn the people. If I show you that judgment is coming and you hear my word and my word tells you the judgment is coming, the sword is coming, blow the trumpet, warn the people that the people may turn back to God. The people may turn away from their wickedness so that God will show mercy. And you and I are called to be watchmen on the wall to our generation. We're his people. He says this, to you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. God gives us his word, and then he wants us to share his word to others and with others. Let them know what's coming. Verse 8, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? The Lord is crying out to us today to turn back to him as a nation, to turn back to him and to humble ourselves once again before the mighty hand of God, before his wrath is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. God always must judge sin. He always must judge wickedness because he's a righteous, holy God. And he's showing us patience. He's, he's continuing to show patience to us. Uh, and yet we are called to be those who preach the gospel and tell people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I believe, whether it's in the next five years or the next 50 years, Jesus is coming back soon. Everything that the Bible predicted to be happening in the last days is happening, as you know, if you've been here uh, for our series. Now, if you go back to uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah also uh, was called to preach this unpopular message uh, to God's people. The pending judgment, if they wouldn't repent, Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So he's, he's, he's preaching to God's people, the people that were going into the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. He's saying, go right up there to the temple and preach to these people who are going into my house, to the house of God to worship the Lord. 
Verse 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Verse 4, do not trust in these lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name? And we say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves? In your eyes, behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Verse 12, but go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Speaking of what God did to the ten northern tribes of Israel as he was about to bring judgment on the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, because they went after other gods, because they swore falsely. In other words, they, they, they lied, uh, they stole from people, uh, they murdered, they committed adultery, and they went after other gods. And then they said in verse 10... They came to the Lord's house and they said, we are delivered to do all these abominations. In other words, grace is a license to sin, is what they were saying. I'm, I'm uh, under God's grace. I'm part of God's uh, people, the uh, people of Judah. I'm part of his promises to Israel. I'm at his temple that he has uh, uh, built here in Jerusalem, they were saying. And so, in other words, they thought we could come to church on Sunday, although they worshiped on Saturday on the Sabbath, so that they could live for themselves and live the, the way that they wanted the whole rest of the week. And then they came back again on Saturday, uh, and they worshiped on Saturday, and then they lived for themselves. And, and God is saying, this is hypocrisy. He's saying, this is, this is not right. You steal, you murder, you commit adultery, you swear falsely, you worship other gods, go after them, and then you say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. And, and God says, uh, I will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, this also shall he reap. Uh, we, we need to understand that God is holy and God is righteous. Jesus said that if you look upon uh, another with lust you've committed adultery Jesus says if you have anger or hatred in your heart for your brother you have committed 
murder. And so we, and then we have all these other gods that we go after as well today. And so God, God has never changed. I mean, he has always called his people to be like himself. He is holy. He wants us to be holy. He's righteous. He wants us, to, not some phony self-righteous holiness or, you know, holier than thou holiness where we think we're better than other people, but really examining ourselves every day, taking out the, 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 the dirty laundry as it were, taking out the trash, whatever sins we have, God wants us to confess those sins and forsake them and he will cleanse us he will wash us white as snow but the idea that we would come into the house of God and think we're clean to go live for this world and live after the flesh uh, is 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 utter hypocrisy and God is calling his people out now one more prophet Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 8 this is the message of the prophet to God's people now go and write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord or the word of God, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and you trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And he shall break it like the breaking of a potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so there shall, be, shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. And you said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. God was calling his people back to himself, and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to come back to God. They wanted prophets, and they wanted pastors and priests to just tell them what they wanted to hear. Just tickle our ears. Tell us God's okay with this. Tell us everything's going to be fine with the way that we're living, even though we're offering human sacrifice and we're worshiping other gods and, and we're lying, cheating, stealing, and breaking all the Ten Commandments. And yet we don't want to hear the truth from the prophet. That's why God says, you are a watchman to the house of Israel. It's not a popular message. Jesus said, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? And now you're going to kill me. And indeed they did kill him. And so it's, uh, you know, it was a very unpopular position through much of Israel's history to be the prophet of God, to be the one speaking forth the truth to God's people. The prophets of God did not go to the pagans. They went to God's people and they called the people back to God, back to himself. And uh, it, it is an idea of warning the people before the judgment of God comes. Uh, many of you are familiar with the story of uh, uh, Eli Weasel. Ellie Weasel was uh, a young boy when the Nazis came in, the Germans, and took over 
Hungary, where he was a young Jewish boy. He was 12 years old when the Nazis took power. He wrote a book called Night, which describes his experience in living through the Holocaust as a Jew in Auschwitz. Uh, and he survived the Holocaust. But he tells a story, uh, a true story, of when the Nazis first came to power, that they uh, were starting to isolate the Jews and keep them in quarters and, and isolate their villages, you know, as long as they stayed within their own village. Uh, they were allowed to stay there, but they weren't allowed to travel. They weren't allowed to go to other villages or other cities or other countries. They kind of they contained the Jews at first uh, in the rural areas. They took the Jews in the more populated areas and put them into the ghettos. Uh, but at that time, the Jews just thought that uh, Hitler was going to relocate them somewhere else because he didn't want the Jews in, their, in, in, in the land anymore. And so they weren't really afraid of Hitler. They weren't afraid of the Nazis at first. Uh, and, and Ellie Weasel tells a story of a man named uh, Moshe the Beetle. Uh, and Mo Moshe the Beetle was a Kabbalist. He was somebody who uh, studied the Torah but through the mystical sort of writings of Kabbalah. And uh, he was discipling this young boy uh, named Ellie Weasel. And what happened was, is Moshe was an immigrant and he wasn't part of this village there in Hungary. And so the Nazis made him leave. Uh, one day, Moshe the Beetle, after a couple of years, came back to this little village and he was wounded. He had been shot. And he began to tell the people there, this would have been 1942, 1943, about a place where they took him and they took the other Jews on cattle cars and they opened up the cattle cars and they started pulling the Jews out and there were these ditches and they lined the Jews up and they machine gunned all the people and the people fell into the ditches and they were ripping the babies from the mother's breasts who were nursing the babies and they were throwing the babies in the air and machine gunning the babies and killing everybody and he uh, was there to help build Auschwitz. This is before Auschwitz was the death camp. They had the Jews build what would become uh, the crematoriums and the death camp and the gas chambers. And so he escaped before they'd put up the electrical fences and everything else. He got shot. He ran away and, and escaped. And he made his way back to his village or to the village where he had been living prior to the Nazis coming to power to warn the Jews about what was coming. And you know what? Nobody listened to him. Nobody would hear. They thought he was insane. They thought he was a madman. He was telling them, no, they're killing us. They're exterminating us. They're going to round us all up and they're going to kill us just because we're Jews. And it was so fantastic. His stories were so unbelievable. They just basically called him crazy. And nobody listened to him until the Nazis came and loaded all of these people up from this village onto cattle cars and took them to this place, place called Auschwitz. And then they realized that everything that this man tried to warn them about was absolutely true. It's amazing how human nature, we don't want to believe when we hear judgment is coming. We don't want to believe when we hear that things are going to be bad or things are going to be hard. And the Bible tells us we're not to be ignorant. In the last days, things are going to get really, really bad. Things are going to get really, really hard. And we're already seeing that. We don't want to believe that it's happening. But it is happening, guys. 
And, and, and we would be wise to hear what the Word of God tells us about the warnings of what is to come for the last days of this planet, planet Earth, because it's going to be the worst time in human history, according to Jesus Christ. Jesus says that things are going to be so bad that unless the Lord intervened, no flesh would survive. Unless the Lord shortened the days of the Great Tribulation, Jesus said no flesh would survive. But for the sake of the elect, God will shorten those days like no time in history. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, tells us this, another prophet of God. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint. With bloodshed upon bloodshed, therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend, rebuke it or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will char change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity and it shall be like people, like priest. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds for they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. If we call ourselves God's people, we should be those who do what God tells us to do. That's how we are identified as God's people. We are those who obey him. That's what makes us his people. Not just because we say we're Christians, but because he's in charge. He's the one that gets to order us around. We don't order him around. We're called to love God and we're called to love our neighbor. It's pretty simple according to the New Testament. Jesus said the whole law and all the prophets are summarized in this. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do this, you keep the law. And so we are to love God first. If we love him, we will want to please him and we're going to want to obey him said, why do you call me? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things that I command? In Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, another prophet of God. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Amos 8, 12. They shall wander from sea to sea. And from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Now, I believe that this is the time that God is talking about that's coming, where it's going to be uh, 
it's going to be a terrible time. He says in verse 9, It shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. You could say that this describes what's coming upon the earth for the tribulation period and the great tribulation period. And at this time, there's a prophecy that there's going to be a famine of the word of God. That there, there won't be the word of God out there anymore. That people aren't going to have the word of God. They're not going to know the word of God. And what do we see? We see that people are so ignorant today of the Bible. They're so ignorant of the scriptures. So few churches are teaching uh, uh, an expository sort of a survey of the scriptures where you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the word of God. Cover it all, even the hard stuff, even the confusing stuff. Because it's God's inspired Word And we are called to be messengers. We are called to speak forth God's word. And then it's up to people whether they want to respond to it. It's not my business whether you listen to the word of God or not. My job is just to tell you the word of God. And your job is to tell other people the word of God. We can't control what they're going to do with it. We're not responsible for them rejecting it. But there is a time coming where there will be a great famine of the word of God in the land. And I believe this is speaking uh, of the days uh, leading up to and into the tribulation period. We see that so few have even an appetite today in the church for the teaching of the word of God. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells us this about being ready and being prepared. He says this in verse 16, Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and innocent or harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Jesus was warning his people, warning his apostles, warning his followers. It's not going to be easy to follow me. It's not going to be easy to be my spokespeople, spokespersons, where, you're, where you're, you're preaching the word of God. You're preaching Jesus Christ. He's, he says some of you are going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to be delivered up. 
but don't fear, don't worry, don't even prepare what you're going to say. I will give you utterance. I'll give you what to speak in that time. He says there's going to be betrayals among family members, brethren, uh, brothers against brothers, fathers against children, children uh, against parents to put them to death and so forth. And so uh, God wants us to be wise. We have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. My people perish for lack of knowledge, the scriptures say. We read earlier. So we have to be those who are not operating out of fear, but operating uh, out of uh, love. That, that perfect love casts out fear. We don't have anything to fear because God loves us and we love him. And we're here as long as he wants us to be here. And if there's a time when he's done with us, then he'll take us to heaven at that time. But we don't have to fear that. We don't even have to fear death. We don't have to fear uh, what comes after this life. If you were in Christ and Christ is in you, uh, you'll never be consciously separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You will go right to be with the Lord. You take your last breath here. You'll take your first breath uh, in heaven. There really is no death for the Christian. That's why Jesus said, he who believes in me will never die. And if he dies and believes in me, yet he will live because death is separation and true death is separation from God. And for the child of God who's born again, you will never be separated from the love of God ever. Even death won't separate you. It's just this body going back to the dust. The real you is spirit or soul that inhabits the body. And you will never die. In Revelation chapter 3, in verse 7, there are, it's interesting, there's two churches that are mentioned uh, leading up to the last days. One of them is the little faithful church, which is the church of Philadelphia. The other is the larger compromising worldly church, which is the church of the Laodiceans. But to the faithful little church in the last days, the church of Philadelphia, God says this prophetically. Revelation 3, 7, to the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write... These things says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. So this, I believe, is describing the faithful little church in the last days. And I would suggest perhaps we are one of those faithful little churches in the last days. The Church of Philadelphia. He says that he's opened a door for us and here we are. We still have an open door. Even though the governor shut all the churches down, our doors are still open. I believe that is a miracle of God that we have not been shut down. We are open uh, for, for church and that is a blessing. God has set an open door before us that no one can shut. He's given us a little strength. Why? Because we have kept his word and we've not denied his name. It, this isn't rocket science. It's not that complicated. If we're his people, we should keep his word. We should seek to please him, not ourselves. And we should seek to lead as many to, to the faith and to Christ as we possibly can. He says in verse 10, skipping to verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, so we have to persevere. I will also keep you... From the hour of testing, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to that which you have, that no one will take your crown. 
He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so God is saying to the faithful little church in the last days that he is going to keep us out of the hour of testing that's going to come upon the whole world. That's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture as we looked at last Sunday. I know the church cannot be here for the great tribulation period. I don't believe the church will be here for the entire tribulation period, which is seven years. But I know we cannot be here for the last three and a half years because that last three and a half years is where Satan is ruling over this earth and where Jesus is pouring out the Lamb, is pouring out his wrath upon Satan, the Antichrist, and his government, and all the people that are worshiping Satan and taking the mark of the beast to worship the devil's man. I know we can't be here for that. God's not going to pour his wrath out upon his own body, upon his own bride. Doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean we're not going to suffer persecution. As a matter of fact, Jesus promises us that we're going to suffer persecution in this world. But he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's different. Suffering persecution for our faith is much different than being here when God Almighty is pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. And I've told you this throughout this study. I believe that it's going to be the greatest revival in all of human history of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Because all the people that you are witnessing to right now and I'm witnessing to uh, right now, if the Lord should return and take us to heaven, imagine what they're going to think. They're going to go back and remember everything you told them. They're going to want to go back and listen to these sermons if they could find them. But remember, there's going to be a famine of the word of God at that time. Uh, and they are not going to take the mark of the beast because they're going to know those crazy Christians, those kooky Christians, they were right. They're all gone. Now this guy's here, and he's saying he's God. He's in Jerusalem. He's demanding that everybody worship him as God. He's demanding that everybody take a mark on their right hand or their forehead, or they will not be able to buy or sell. They'll be excluded from the economy. They'll be hunted down. They'll be imprisoned, and ultimately they will be beheaded. But the people who are here at that time are going to remember this message. They're going to remember what we're telling them, that don't take the mark of the beast. Whoever takes the mark of the beast will end up in the lake of fire. So I think a lot of people, I mean, there's going to be uh, an, an innumerable number of people that are going to be saved according to the scriptures in those last days because they are not going to take the mark of the beast. They are not going to identify with the devil's man and they're not going to worship Satan. But it's going to cost them their lives at that point. But better to lose your life than to lose your soul uh, in hell for all eternity. It's interesting that the lukewarm church, the big church, the popular church, you know, is, is the church of Laodicea in the last days. Verse 14 of Revelation 3 tells us about this church. The, the, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich 
and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And then Jesus says this to them, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. He's saying this to the church. He's saying this not to the little faithful church with just a few people that have an open door, that have a little bit of strength, that have not denied his name, that have kept his word. But he's talking to the big church, the compromising church, the lukewarm church, the church that doesn't stand for anything, the church that's rich and wealthy and thinks it has need of nothing. And so uh, we... I believe, are living in those days where we see the church of Philadelphia, the little church with the little strength, and we see the church of the Laodiceans, which is the big church, the compromising church, the lukewarm church that needs to repent. We go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, when we, where we started. And again, we read this in verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds, by the way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. So the reason they're scoffers is because they want to continue in their own lust. They don't want to hear that they're sinning. They don't want to hear that they have to repent. They don't want to hear that they have to change their minds or change their ways. And then they're going to scoff at those who are telling them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so they're going to say, people have been saying it for 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back. He hasn't come back yet. Therefore, we don't believe he's coming back. And that is a prediction of what the response of these will say in the last days. Skip to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will all be burned up. You know, scoffers used to say, not long ago, even a hundred years ago, about these verses, they would say, how in the world are rocks going to burn with fire? That's ridiculous that rocks could burn. How, how is the elements of the earth going to melt with fervent heat? How in the world is the earth and everything in it going to burn with fire? We know you can't burn rocks with fire. You can't burn water with fire until we discovered how to break apart the atom and develop the nuclear bomb, and we realized that everything at its atomic level can be scattered and could just explode into nothing. That it's just energy that's all being bound together in the atom, in the nucleus of the atom. And that if those uh, protons and electrons are scattered and confused, they can explode and then cause everything to burn. Water, mountains, everything. And this is exactly what God says is going to happen in the last days. This whole earth, this whole planet, this whole solar system is going to burn. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, it's all going to dissolve with fire. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? You know, God was 2,000 years ahead of the scientists here on the atomic energy and the power that 
uh, is there in, in the atom. It's all going to burn with fire, God says. And that's why we are not to put our hope in this world or into the things of this world. We're not to lay up treasures on earth, but send our treasures ahead. Lay up our treasures in heaven. We are to live as though we're on borrowed time because we're all living on borrowed time. Uh, Pascal's wager, one of the great um, arguments for the faith, uh, Pascal, Blaise Pascal, the uh, brilliant scientist and uh, philosopher, you know, he said, he said this, he says, you know, I'm only going to live for 70 or 80 years, and then eternity is forever, according to the scriptures. So why would I want to live these 70 or 80 years uh, for myself and live in sin against the word of God and against the teachings of God and trust that maybe there's not life after death. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe we're all evolved from monkeys and apes and from nothing. And there is no God. Therefore, there's no heaven. There's no hell. So he says, but I would be gambling with eternity to live here for 70 or 80 years for myself, not believing in God. He goes, I would rather, and I think it's a, a wise wager, he says, it's Pascal's wager, that I would live for God in this life. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. He says, if I live 70 or 80 years for God, loving my neighbor, loving God, turning the other cheek, what have I lost? If I'm wrong and there's nothing after this life, I still lived a good, wholesome life. But if I live for myself and I deny the existence of God in the 70 or 80 years, and God is real, and the Bible is true, and I'm going to have to face my maker on that day, I'm going to be judged for all eternity. So why would you trade 70 or 80 years of this world for eternity? Pascal's wager. And it's, it's very true. Uh, you know, this life is so short. It's like, it's like a drop of water in the ocean compared to what the Bible describes as eternity, which goes on forever and ever and ever. And so if you live for the Lord here and we're all wrong and there's nothing after this life, hey, we had a good life and what did we lose? But for the atheist who lives for himself and denies God and rejects God in this world for 70 or 80 years, he's going to have to go and answer to God for all eternity. And that uh, is an unwise decision to make. In 1 John, we read this about the coming of Jesus Christ and how it ought to motivate us to holy living. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Speaking of the rapture. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So John is talking about the gathering together, the appearing of Jesus to come for his bride, his church at the rapture. He's saying if we know that Jesus is coming back, if, you know, we want to be confident before his coming. We know that he's righteous, so therefore we want to be those who are practicing righteousness. Uh, and if we're born of him, we have his Holy Spirit within us to help us to practice righteousness. It's not our doing, it's him working out his will through us and by his Holy Spirit, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. He says, 
Uh, Beloved, we, now we are children of God, verse 2. It has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall see him how, as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the idea of the fact that Jesus Christ could come back any time, any day, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, should lead us to living a purified life. We should desire to be pure because he is pure. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, we read this. Paul the Apostle writing to Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So again, this is the, these are the, the, the early church fathers. These are the apostles. These are the ones who wrote the scriptures for us. And they were saying this at that time. That, that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, sober-minded. We should live righteous lives and godly lives in this present age. And we should be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back again. He will redeem us from every lawless deed. And he will purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't know exactly what's coming, guys. I have done a tremendous amount of research into the Great Reset. Uh, And when I say a tremendous amount of research, I mean literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of research into what's coming. And it sure looks a lot to me like the one world government is being formed, the, the beast system is being formed right under our noses, right before our very eyes. Um, everything the Bible described that would be happening in the last days is happening. So we've got to be close. And if we know we're close and we're 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus Christ than Titus was, than Peter was, than John was when they wrote these things, and they were living in a way that Jesus could come back in their lifetime, and they wanted to be delivered from every lawless deed. They wanted to be holy people. They wanted to be righteous people who were following the Lord. How much more should we, since we are living in the days that are seeing these things take place? One more scripture here, and this is where we end. In Jeremiah, back to Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 29, and verse 4. We read this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray 
to the Lord, for in it, for, uh, for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, we're like those Jews who were carried away captive to Babylon for 70 years. We're living in Babylon right now, guys. We're only here for 70 or 80 years. And the Lord would tell us the same thing. Live while you're here. You know, don't, don't just lock yourselves away somewhere and wait for the end and hope that, you know, they wanted to go back to the promised land. He's saying, no, you're going to be here a while. You're going to be here in Babylon for 70 years. He says, you know, have children, take uh, spouses, wives, and, 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 and husbands for your sons and daughters. Uh, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and so forth. Uh, and, and he says, and seek the peace of the city. And this is Babylon, where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. And so I don't know what to advise people as to what to do right now, except to do this. We have to keep living our lives. We can't compromise our faith. We can't deny our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We have to put God first. We have to seek God first. But we also have to live our lives here and now. It may be another 500 years or 250 years before Jesus comes back. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a prophet. Nobody knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. And if anybody tries to tell you the day or the hour of Christ's return, you know that they're a liar and they're a false prophet because God says no man knows the day or the hour. This is what Jesus said. So in the meanwhile, pray for the peace of the city where you are and, and live and work and live your life now. And keep your eyes on Jesus. And then he tells us this. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, for God's people, there's always hope. There's always a future. Even if it's not in this life. Even if we lose our lives, guys. There's great people, great men and women of God, who have been fed to the lions and beheaded and crucified and burned at the stake for their faith. Uh, and God loves them. And, and so whatever happens, this life is not all there is. You know, we, we leave this world and we go on to be with Jesus forever. And that's a good thing. It's not a scary thing to die for the Christian. I believe that we are going to see difficult times. I believe the scriptures predict that we're going to see perilous times, difficult times, treacherous times in the last days. But we have to keep living our lives. We cannot bury our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. Nor can we just hold up somewhere and hope that Jesus comes back and we lock ourselves away forever uh, in our basement or uh, up in the mountains or something like this, just waiting for Jesus to come back. We're to be about our Father's business. We're to be His hands and feet. We're to be the ones who are proclaiming the good news of the gospel while we still can. Because Jesus says, work while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. Shall we pray?
Lord, we thank you for the promises here in your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your plans for us are good, Lord. Your thoughts toward us are good thoughts, Lord, not evil thoughts. To give us a hope and a future. You tell us, Lord, that if we seek you with all of our heart, Lord, we will find you. And we will know you. And so, Lord, I pray for each one that's here today. I know it's scary times, Lord. I know that there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear about what's to come upon this earth, Lord. And yet we know that you are on your throne in heaven. We declare that we are your bride. We declare that we are your people, Lord. That you will always preserve and take care of and protect your remnant, Lord God. Even in the midst of a wicked generation. Father, I pray that you bless us, Lord, that you would use us, Father, to share the good news of the gospel with everyone that we know, Lord God, and to not fear that which is coming upon the earth, Lord, because perfect love casts out fear, and we know that you love us, Lord, and we love you. So give us your peace, Lord, give us your courage, strengthen us, Lord, <clears throat> and give us confidence in the promises from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> we all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.